Hello and welcome to the Lancet Respiratory Medicine podcast. I'm Laura Feetham and I'm speaking to you today from the Lancet's New York office. I'm very pleased to be joined on the phone today by Dr. Robert Heisey, who's Professor of Medicine at the University of Michigan and is the Medical Director of the Critical Care Unit there. Today we're going to be discussing the de-adoption of ineffective practices in critical care. What happens when a treatment or intervention originally thought to be beneficial is later shown to be ineffective? How can clinicians be encouraged to stop employing practices that don't benefit patients? This is the subject of a commentary written by Dr. Heisey and his colleague Andrew Admin, and published in the latest issue of The Lancet Respiratory Medicine. Bob, thanks very much for joining me. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. So to start off, please could you give a few real-world examples of practices in critical care that have been successfully de-adopted after new evidence has come to light, and perhaps some of those which persist despite having been shown to be ineffective? Well, two examples I could cite for you of successful de-adoption uh, would be the use of the pulmonary arterial catheter, which was uh, in use for 30, 40 years without really good evidence to show it was effective. It was an invasive procedure, potentially a uh, one that could lead to complications because it was invasive, but no data to support its use until it, it, it finally did, and, and its use really kind of dropped off quite quickly. The settings we tended to use it in, a severe uh, life-threatening infection called sepsis or a bad lung failure called ARDS, we routinely use it when I was in training, and now we practically never see it anymore. So when the people actually studied it and showed it the use didn't make a difference, it was kind of a a change for people, you always think more information is better. You get the information from the catheter, of course you're smarter, and of course you're going to do better. Well, the evidence didn't support it, and it was the adopted. Another example of successful the adoption was a sepsis drug uh, that was uh, approved in about uh, 2001 called activated protein C, and its use was uh, beginning to rise, uh, but then there were concerns raised about complications, particularly bleeding into the head. It was a blood-thinning medication. And there were, there were smaller, um, less detailed studies, less complete studies that suggested uh, uh, lack of efficacy, and so use started to drift off. And ultimately, a, a definitive trial was done showing a lack of uh, efficacy, and the drug was pulled from the market, but the use had already tapered off. It had already been de-adopted during that period between the initial uptick after FDA approval when these little studies started chipping away. And perhaps the issue there was you, you didn't know if you were saving a life with sepsis because you saved lives with sepsis, I mean, that you're doing everything else to help a life, but you certainly knew if someone had bled into their head. And so a, a disastrous complication in front of your face. Now, other circumstances where there's been good evidence have, have been less successful with regard to the adoption. Those are, those are situations I, I think of more uh, concern and more interest. An example being tight glycemic control, the trajectory of that being quite rapid in the early 2000s, a study uh, done in Europe showing that uh, a lower blood glucose of 80 to 110 had better outcomes. And I think maybe it was adopted broadly because in the 2000s, the, the checklist and, and different kinds of bundles of care were being implemented in all kinds of arenas. And this got incorporated into that and widespread implementation. And, and, and then some chipping away uh, until finally a, a more definitive article came out showing actually harm and yet, in spite of that, uh, people are still doing it, and it, which begs the question, why? Is it, is it because this is just a, a, a drip going in through the vein? It's not invasive. There's no obvious catastrophic consequence, such as a bleeding head that might be in front of your face. So why does that persist in the face of 
good evidence to say that that 80 to 110 blood glucose is not a good thing to do for the patient. So we've got examples in both ways of things that do get de-adopted, and you, and you, you kind of wonder why certain things do and why certain things don't. And we're really only now uh, beginning to try to address the issue of the adoption and, and, and discover some of these reasons. And what do you think are the main barriers to a practice being de-adopted after it's been shown not to work? Sure. Well, I mean, we're only beginning to address this, only beginning to understand it. So you can point to the work of Martini and Graham, who uh, pointed out that a lot of social, economic, and other factors are in play, factors beyond scientific. And, of course, that, that is the crux of the matter, because there must be something else in play that's non-scientific, because the science doesn't support whatever this uh, thing is that people are still doing. And clearly, scientific information should drive our behavior, but it's clear that other factors are involved. So we're trying to understand it. I alluded to in my earlier explanation what, you, what I would speculate only is sort of hypotheses that one potentially could empirically apply to other scenarios in the adoption. In other words, sort of risk-reward uh, trade-offs. If something's easy to do and the harm isn't immediately obvious, uh, maybe that's less inclined to be uh, de-adopted than something that is hard to do and the, and the harm is obvious. Uh, but that's all hypothesis generating. We're only beginning now to to look at these issues. So uh, clearly it's more than about the science, right? That, that we know. The other factors, the social factors, the economic factors, there's more to it than the science. In order to establish whether or not a practice is in the process of being de-adopted, the rate of use of that practice needs to be monitored over time. Could you outline some of the challenges involved in that? Well, thank you for asking that because that, that's something near and dear to my heart. And so in medicine, we try to have performance measures. We measure behaviors, and a, a good performance measure is something of high-quality evidence. We say, this is the right thing to do, so let's measure you doing this thing. It's a little harder to measure not doing something. Most performance measures measure things that you do, not things that you don't do. And so it's a huge challenge for de-adoption. It's also, performance measures are, are problematic in lots of ways with regard to exclusions. How, you know, maybe there's a justifiable exclusion. How do you, do you know uh, that someone did something? And so not, not all PA catheters, which is still, it's a commercially available tool, a pulmonary artery catheter, it still has a role. It just doesn't have a routine role. So, so how do you tease those out? How do you, you can't just say you should never do this. It's not incontrovertible harm every time you put a pulmonary arterial catheter, there are legitimate reasons for doing it. It's just there's no legitimate reason for always doing it. So how do you begin to approach a measurement of a performance measure based on good quality evidence? The evidence is there, but how do you measure not doing something and, and, and then don't punish people for the exception? So where do we go from here? What do you think need to be the next steps in terms of de-adopting ineffective practices in critical care? Well, I think for starters, we need to study this more. I mean, because I said that we're really only now focusing our attention just in the last couple of years on this issue at all. So to try to understand this, and it's, it, again, it, it's social science uh, in, in a lot of ways more than it's, and it's teamwork and all the things that we know about that go into critical care delivery. We, we, know, we understand a lot of the, the aspects of the teamwork involved. We don't understand how that the science impacts the de-adoption components in the context of the team. So for starters, I think we need to figure this out more. Uh, in terms of performance measures, I think one can begin to uh, approach that. I think professional societies 
have a role in advocacy. Uh, we mentioned the Choosing Wisely campaign and, and, and more. You can't always say we need to study more. We always need to study more. But we also, I think, need to try to begin to act in ways that are meaningful, and whether or not these can be meaningfully translated into performance measures is a huge challenge. So I would say uh, you know, we need to study it, and we need to fix it, and I think we should move on both fronts simultaneously. Bob, it's been really interesting talking to you today. Thanks very much for joining me. For having me.